Welcome to ATL Day Ones with Jarvis and Tanitra. Coming up on today's show, Ozzy came through like good kinfolk. And as the Falcons wrap up voluntary OTAs, we're seeing that there's so much depth in the secondary. Does that mean that a guy going into his fourth year might be going to his final year as a start? And last but not least, and for the culture, Josh Allen is out here making history again. That's all coming up next right here on ATL Day Ones. Let's go. This is ATL Day Ones, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. I want to start by saying thank you for making ATL Day Ones your first listen of the day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you download your podcast. And wherever you download your podcast, make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Really appreciate that from you in advance. ATL Day Ones is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. But, T, when you think about this Braves team, now this is the fourth consecutive game that they've come from behind and gotten a win. They sweep the Mets. Ozzy Albies gets busy last night in the 10th inning in a game that I thought was essentially over because, you know, like he's getting late. I'm looking at my clock. I'm tweeting out like, oh, my God. Like, when is this game going to be over? And then next thing you know, just like good family always do, you know, on the family reunion, they come through with the good stuff. Ozzy Albies came through like good kid folk, but – T, like, how do you even put this into words as to how this team is playing, given all the injuries that they've been fa- de- dealing with the early on this season? That they can get it done any way yeah. they so well please. And it did not shock me when I actually ta- tapped in because I had an event last evening, so I had to kind of tap in late. Yeah. Yes. Braves were down 10 to 7. I didn't blink. I literally yeah. just turned on the radio and then ended up, you know, listening in on my app. And I was like, yeah, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. I'm, I'm sure they'll be fine. And literally, when Orlando RC hit the solo shot, I was like, money, Braves win this game. I don't know how or who, but the Braves win this game. And that's very interesting because there were actually a couple of uncharacteristic things that happened during the game, including Spencer Strider giving up eight runs in four innings, although he was still characteristically Strider because he still had eight strikeouts. So of that's course, yeah. that's, that's a given. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing that I love about what I saw last night. It was just typical Braves in that you just never give up on them. And they've actually shown, to your point, the last, I'd say week and a half or two, they're kind of back in cardiac kids mode. Not that they have not launched out as well and done it in some different ways in setting the stage early with Ronald Acuna Jr. in the leadoff position in the top of the order. But interestingly enough, what I also like about what we saw last night and even in these comeback wins, a three-run deficit, a three-run deficit, a four-run deficit, that was all in one series. This series with the Mets is that the middle of the order and the bottom of the order are starting to give it give it to you again. And that's what's encouraging when maybe you have some outings like you saw from Spencer Strider in game three and even from Charlie Morton in game two. Yeah, when you think about, like, the, the gravity of that, right, like I, he gave up eight runs and you found out a way to win. That is absolutely huge. And I even remember back a conversation when we were talking about how the Braves are going to get through these trials with um, Kyle Wright and Max Free going on the 60-day I.L., you know, yeah, of course, you got to figure out who's going to be in the start of rotation. But 
there's going to be some uptick on the uh, other side, right, as far as at the plate. And that's what we've seen. They come through for their starter, whoever is on the mound. They've come through for, you know, for those guys. And like Charlie Moore and struggling. It don't matter. Uh, Special Strider doesn't matter. Struggling. It doesn't matter. You know, and whoever they throw, decide to throw out there on the mound, it doesn't matter because they have a lineup that can get it done. And when you have guys like Michael Harris starting to come around, Marcelo Zuna start, is on a tear for the past month and a half or so. So all those things kind of come into play where Alex Anthopoulos, Brian Snicker, they have they got a plan and they have figured it out. And like you said, four consecutive games in the comeback, you sweep your NL East rival. And, and like you said, you put your foot on their neck like you're supposed to. And I absolutely love it. And they are just a few games ahead of the Nationals, which they are getting ready to play tonight. And speaking of being on the mound, how about this? A.J. smith Shaverty is going to get his first start. And the, the, the from the looks of it, he's pretty pretty satisfied with what the, the type of support that he knows he's going to have as well. As he should be, because the other pieces there, when you go into the box score, even from last night, what was encouraging to me, and I, I know you could have said the same for the Mets, because at a point, they literally had like the 10 runs on 13 hits, if you will. But I was busy looking at the Braves box score and saying, I also like that 13 hits because I can remember, I think right when I tapped in was a Michael Harris, the second hit. And I thought, this is what you want. This is what you want, regardless of whether he's getting, because I was thinking to myself, I said, boy, I'll really like to see him being one of the runs driven in. He doesn't necessarily have to be the one driving the run in, but for him to be driven in, that means that he actually got himself on base. So that's the other piece that I like. At any given moment, anyone in that entire order is actually getting on base with a hit. So it doesn't have to always be the long ball. It was a long ball last night that got him into extras and got him the win. But the other piece there is if you're getting players on base and you're actually scoring, that means we're not having a conversation that was a little bit scary in May mm-hmm. because it felt like we were going back to 2022 with stranding runners, having runners in scoring position and going 0 for 10 or 1 for 13. You know, the crazy numbers that we were seeing last year that were head scratchers that in May kind of freaked you out a little bit, but it seems like they're getting back in stride. And yeah, for a team that's essentially a bottom dweller for the division, it's exciting because it's like, okay, you may actually be able to go five and one, or even dare I say it's six and oh on this homestand, which will really be an exciting thing for the Braves to get back out there on the road with a, a lot of sub 500 teams and really have a strong rest of June. Yo, I'm talking about going on a run, T. That's where I'm at with it. And and that, and they've got, like you said, they've gotten off to a good start and super excited about this. But I got to mention this before we move on. Like, for the broadcast, I know you say you tapped in a little bit later on, but like, like for me to sit, be sitting there watching that television broadcast, to have Jeff Francoeur, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, and and Larry, Larry, Larry Chipper Jones on on the broadcast, he, like it was, it got to a point where I was barely even paying attention to the game, and I just was just sitting out around waiting for what the next story was going to be or what the next jab was going to be, and it it got it was one point where. They just really just tickled me to death. They were literally just snickering as as Spencer Strider was getting ready to pitch. And I was like, what are they laughing at? I was like, I want to be in that broadcast booth just sitting there to see what the joke is because I I was having FOMO like a mug last night, T. Oh, yeah. They seemed like they were just having a time of their lives. And it's fun because at the end of the day, this is supposed to be about fun, right? And so when they needed to make the calls and give you some insight into what was happening within the park, 
and on the diamond. They, they did that at the plate. They did that. But it was so fun just kind of watching them and listening to them. And actually, what I typically do in the mornings, if I'm not able to watch the, the game in its entirety the night before, is I'll watch a replay. So I'll start the morning off watching a replay of the Braves. And it's just been absolutely hilarious. And yeah, to hear them call him Larry, I thought I was going to die. Yes. Like, they actually yes. got away with calling him Larry. <laughs> you know, on national, yes. Yes. On, on national television. So yeah, it was a really fun, good call. Great, great stuff by Bally Sports South to even think about doing that and just to say it it, for me it said this is what you kind of are accustomed to with the braids like I can even I I started thinking about round two right because I was like wow I said I could totally down the road at some point see Ozzy Albies doing something like that having some fun with it yeah it was a great broadcast I really really enjoyed it and all I could think of too was wow if you were in the building in some way, shape, or form, or listening, because you know there's a really cool spot to listen to the or and watch the games just outside of Truist Park. Right, it must have been a blast over there in uh, Cobb County Thursday. Yeah, I'm sure the batter was absolutely jumping, jumping for joy, listening to those guys, you know, pontificate on the game, and sometimes even forget the game is even going on. So yeah, that was absolutely great. And shout out to like you said about Bally Sports. Hopefully, this isn't the last time this happens. Now, coming up in 60 seconds. We're going to talk about the Bates effect. Who's in, who's out. That's coming up next. But first, I want to tell you about FanDuel Sportsbook because it is the number one sportsbook in America. If you guys have been rocking with us Monday through Friday, really appreciate you. Thank you. Now we're trying to actually get you onto the FanDuel Sportsbook family. And guess what? For all new customers, they have the no sweat first bet up to $2,500. Dollars. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. If you're worried about you know your information getting out there, getting out there, don't 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 do it because it's safe, secure, and it's super easy to use. And guess what? The NBA Finals are getting ready to get back rolling as well, so you can both um, bet on that. They have the um, they have the money lines. They have the points scored. Who's going to drain the most threes? They have all of that right there waiting just for you. For all of, all of you. Uh, ATL Day 1's listeners, go to fanduelsportsbook.com slash locked on. That's fanduelsportsbook.com slash locked on. Fanduel.com slash locked on. It is make every moment more. It is the number one sportsbook in America. And make sure to let you know that is the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. The Falcons are wrapping up voluntary OTAs. Mandatory minicamp kicks off June 13th through the 15th. And of course, we have training camp coming up in late July. So all eyes are on each and every position on that 90-man roster. But we kind of whittled it down to the secondary and kind of looking at a crowded DB room thanks to free agency and some other moves that the Falcons have made. Now, that said, Jarvis, Ryan Nielsen had this to say about one DB in particular. He says, this is a lot. There is a lot with him. Playmaking ability, leadership. He is a good teammate. The command of things right there, it's like, we have to have this guy on our football team. It'll be good for everybody. And the combination of things, rather, is what he said. That combination of things, the playmaking ability, the leadership, being a great teammate teammate talking about none other than Jesse Bates. So that said, Jesse Bates comes to or came to rather the Falcons at quite a hefty price. So to me, Jarvis, that already said there are some lofty expectations of him. However, 
Jalen Hawkins really kind of tampered it up and took it up a, a notch in his third season with the Falcons last year. So that begs the question of, so first and foremost, what did you, what were your thoughts about Jesse Bates, both when the Falcons signed him and also when you had the opportunity to lay eyes on him, at least on a practice field. And then part two of that is based on what you've seen, based on what you know, the Falcons have expectations of him, uh, of him for or with, what does that mean for Jalen Hawkins? I think that, you know, when you think about bringing a guy, first of all, when you think about the bringing a guy like Jesse Bates in, you're automatically expecting that, that leadership piece, right? And also the experience, what he's dealt with, because he came from a, a Bengals team that was absolutely awful, and then they end up going on a, a run to the Super Bowl. And, you know, given a few plays here and there, they probably they had a chance, the opportunity to win that game. So and I think that that's what, you know, the Falcons were looking for when they paid that hefty price to bring him in. Like, hey, we're, we're, we were bad or uh, average to mediocre team, and we're trying to make that jump to a Super Bowl because Ryan Nielsen was – like, the immense worst at all. Like, we're trying to win some Super Bowls. We're trying to get there, and we're trying to win it. So, um, I think that when you – those are the type of expectations that you are, are – that, that Jesse Bates brings to the on table when you talk about that Bates effect, right? Can he have that type of effect on, on everybody else, you know, in that secondary? But I think the, the interesting thing, you know, is, the interesting piece about that is when you think about Jalen Hawkins – Though, like, he's a guy that, you know, started, you know, all those games last year. And he was a guy that I felt like could be a piece that could be, a, you know, a, a, a annual starter, right? You know, he could be your guy that can, you know, especially, you know, dealing with, you know, the, the development piece because he was drafted by the previous regime. I think that, you know, from a starting standpoint, I think those days are over as far as, you know, being at that strong safety spot because Richie Grant is probably is going to bump down to that strong safety, which is kind of more of his natural spot, right, anyway. Um, and then because, you know, Jesse Bates, you know, he's at his best when he's that that one high safety look and, and, and out there playing free safety or center field, so to speak, when you talk about um, how the defensive matchup. But I think Ryan Nielsen has the, the capabilities because he's talking about running that multiple defense. And I think that Hawkins is going to have some – he's going to get some playing time because we think about – Teams running that three, that big nickel look, or having three safeties in the game at you know at in from time to time, and specifically on on pass rush downs. I'm sorry, on, on on run downs, on run specific downs, because you know a lot of teams come out in those you know spread formations, and and then you got to be able to defend that because a lot of times they come out in that spread formation, they will run the football, and we know that Jalen Hawkins has no issues with coming downhill and making tackles. So I, I think that that's kind of where his role is. I think that's the the type of effect that base is going to have. But when you have him coming into that room like that, I really think that, you know, the lofty expectations are going to be there and they should be there. Like being that $16 million annually is a lot of money. So I think that, you know, Jesse Bates has a lot on his shoulders to make sure this DB room gets right. And I think that they're on their way because that Ryan Nielsen is an intense guy, and everybody knows that, and he's put that on display even in OTAs, and we ain't even put the pads on yet. So I think, you know, Hawkins will be fine. It's just I just feel like he won't be, you know, out there, you know, uh, in the, when, the, when they start on first down, you know, and then there's more than likely he'll be there. He'll be there. He'll be out there on the yeah. field, and he just won't be playing as much. 
Right. And with Jalen Hawkins, as you mentioned, he's a guy who didn't mind open field tackles in his three years. Every year he increased the number of tackles and even forced fumbles. So just having a mindset, of course, you always want the DBs to have ball hawking skills as far as the passing game. But you also want to know that if a runner gets past that first level, gets to the second level, that you've got some DBs that are saying, yeah, you're not going to get to the third level. Or if the receiver is able to catch a ball, you're not going to get a lot of yards after the catch. So yeah, there are definitely ways that Jalen Hawkins can make himself valuable in this system, regardless of if the number of snaps is reduced as well as his role is reduced, meaning not necessarily being a starter, all things considered positive that Jesse Bates is going to get that position and actually stays healthy for the entire season. Now, another guy that actually piqued my interest and I thought, hmm, Falcons also made a lot of moves uh, in the linebacker core as well. I mean, it was everywhere. Let's just be honest. But Michael Walker was another one that I thought, hmm, wonder what all of the moves in the offseason are going to do in terms of who he is, because he's one who we can recall last year, Dean Pease being really excited about both Michael Walker and Jalen Hawkins as it relates to that leadership piece, that communication piece, sort of being like that quarterback, for lack of a better term, on the defensive side. How do the moves that the Falcons have made in the offseason possibly if at all impact Michael Walker oh it's going to impact him a lot because you know when, when you think about you know what you know Troy Anderson is they really feel like he's going to be the guy that step up to be that, that mainstay on that on that defense specifically on passing downs and in whatever base formation that they do run out there you know if they if they do run that three four base look which is Probably is not going to be much if they do. I can see Michael Walker standing next to Troy Anderson, potentially maybe. But like you said, when you have a guy like Caden Ellis, I know a lot of people looking at those seven sacks, but the dude was standing up a lot, you know, and, and the Falcons was running him out there at that stand-up linebacker spot in a nickel um, nickel spot, a nickel um, position. So those are some of the things that you have to pay attention to. Like, I really feel like Michael Walker is going to be in a space where he's going to be fighting to, you know, to for playing time. And, and depending on how things play out during training camp, is a possibility that he might get cut? Because, you know, like there, there may be some situations that he might not be seeing the field. And when you have a guy like you don't see a, a spot for him, you know, is he going to be willing to play special teams? Like yeah. that may, may not be a look that he's willing to go or where, he, where he's willing to go. So I, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see once they put the pads on, because uh, even Arthur Smith even mentioned it. He's like, you, he said, guys, you make the team in August, you know, when they report. You know what I mean? Like when they put the pads on, that's when you make the team. You don't make, you, you know, you don't solidify your spot in June in, in minicamp and OTAs. And like, cause, and, and I'm glad that he brought that up because when you're talking about learning, putting guys in certain spots, you know, challenging them to do different things and, and because you want to get those type of learning experiences out the way. So once July hits and you guys report, put those pads on, you know, get those couple of days of adjustment period and put those pads on like you want to hit the ground rolling. And I think that Michael Walker is going to have to figure out what that role looks like as he goes through this offseason program. And I'd be very interested to see how it is, because I think well, we've talked to Michael Walker through his time here, you know, with the Atlanta Falcons. And I think that the guy has a good head on his shoulders. He's a solid football player. So um, hopefully that doesn't mean the end of, of, of the Michael Walker era, era with the Falcons. But, you know, I am interested to see how this does play, play out. 
Indeed. Yeah. He he was one who, like you said, we've been kind of rooting for him from day one because we've had so yeah. many opportunities to kind of speak with him. And he definitely had some moments. He definitely had some moments, especially in his second year. So I, I really am hopeful that somehow, some way, Ryan Nielsen is able to figure out how to fit him into the defense. It's a crowded linebacker room. It's a crowded DB room. It's just crowded rooms all the way around. But that actually should bode well for the Falcons because to Arthur Smith's point, that means we are going to see a high level of competition when you get into training camp and when you start getting into those now critical preseason games to see who is actually going to fit the part so that they're ready for that season opener at Mercedes-Benz. So if you guys have thoughts on where you think Jalen Hawkins is going to land, is he going to have his reps reduced? Could he possibly be a viable competitor for the starting position to Jesse Bates? And what will Michael Walker do? Will he be able to find his way into a starting type space uh, in the defensive front for the Falcons come opening day let us know like you always do just drop something in our comments on our youtube page and continue to check us out every day or continue to support us and of course you got a weekend coming up why not download us wherever you download the rest of your podcasts you can listen to today's episode and you can listen to all episodes just run it back just have yourself a locked on atlanta atl day ones type of binge watch binge listen situation because we appreciate you guys for rocking with us and any and everybody that you tell to do the same but t this is for the culture it is the intersection between sports entertainment the culture sometimes whatever the hell we want to talk about because that's just how we get down on the show today is no different t when you think about the madden cover and the legend that it comes with and you know there is a lot of history that comes with the buffalo bills so when i found out that you know josh allen was going to be on the cover, not surprised, excellent player, MVP candidate type guy, quarterback candidate. You know, he's in those conversations every year as far as um, the Buffalo Bills being contenders in the, um, in the AFC every year. So when I found out that he was the first Bills player to actually uh, the Don on the cover, I was like, really? Because when you think about, you know, four consecutive um, times that the Buffalo Bills went to the Super Bowl in the 90s, I was like, it was so many guys to choose from, from Bruce Smith to Jim Kelly to Thurman Thomas. All of those guys were just excellent players, Hall of Fame guys. But what do you think they said? Do you think this adds a, a little bit more pressure for, for Josh Allen to get it done? Because, hey, they haven't made it to the Super Bowl. And, you know, this team is has been a contender for, you know, at least for the past few years. But they just haven't been able to get over the hump. Well, usually being on that Madden cover is a curse. So thanks, Josh Allen, because the Steelers need all the help that they can get in the AFC. Appreciate I you. I knew it was going to circle so back let's to something. Right there. Yeah, it's always going to come back to the Steelers. So that's really all I said to myself was, yay, thanks, Josh, because, you know, doesn't bode well for you if you're on that Madden cover. That's number one. And number two, the Madden cover is all about the sexy. It's all about the yeah. exciting. It's True. all about that guy who is just flash and dash. And that is Josh Allen. And the era that you mentioned is a bunch of like kind of blue collarish kind of lunch pail type of guys. I mean, Good point. Bruce Smith, maybe I'll give him a little nod for kind of wreaking havoc, but Thurman Thomas, not so much. He's just not going to be the most exciting back that you were going to put on the cover back during his time. Right. right Same yeah. thing for Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly was an amazing Fried chicken with no seasoning. <clears throat> yeah, there it is. <laughs> I mean, literally. Jim yeah. Kelly, amazing quarterback, <laughs> Hall of Famer. But that's not who gets on the Madden cover. The guy who gets on the Madden cover is the guy like a Michael Vick. 
That's the guy who gets on that. Yeah. The guy who makes right. The guy who makes you want to play Madden because he has video-like characteristics to his game. And yeah. Josh Allen has video-like characteristics to his game. I also mm-hmm. said to myself, I know for me, if I pick up Madden and want to play, I'd be excited to be Josh Allen and be the Bills for that particular game. That's what that game is all about. So yeah, when I heard it, it shocked me for a hot second that he was the first ever because you do think about the glory days of going to the Super Bowl four straight games, four straight years rather in a row. But then I thought, yeah, well, they were just kind of lunch paleish. So yeah, no, no. Yeah. Lunch pail doesn't really sell. Yeah, lunch pail doesn't really sell. And when you think about the city of Buffalo, that kind of speaks to the yeah. that demographic more so than a national appeal. And like, like when I, when you say Michael Vick, like that too, because I was a super Madden like person. Like I had like fifteen years of consecutive buying that game. You know, if they have gone away now, but that two thousand four um, Madden game, oh my god! Like Vick was a absolute cheat code. But yeah. It's very interesting. So what's also interesting, T, how about this? Um, this came across my little desk, and, you know, and I thought it was something to bring, you know, bring to the yard. You know what I mean? Uh, and when you think about Khalees, you know, her milkshake and all that stuff, and she talked about how she brought it to the yard and everybody was wanting it, but uh, it seems like uh, somebody else uh, wants it. And uh, Mr. Bill Murray is uh, a person that is uh, interested in partaking in that milkshake. So – you know, that's what do you think about Bill Murray and Khalees? Oh man, Jarvis, you know, I try to be nice to people, <laughs> try to be euphemistic and positive and stuff. And don't get me wrong. Now, Jarvis, as an executive producer as well as a co host, you, you know, you keep so many of us on the Lockdown Network. <laughs> on the straight and narrow. <laughs> but I'm just trying to understand, like, are we allowed to say he could get it and he can't get it? Like, is that acceptable? Of course, yes. You know. Okay, well then go with B. A gift? Yeah, a gift, right? <clears throat> go with B. Never ever gonna get it, as in Invo. Taylor Swift, I'm gonna kind of remix her song, we're never ever ever getting together, so there won't be a back together, because we're never ever ever getting together. And to wrap it up with Outcast, forever, ever, never, ever, forever, ever, never. <laughs> Let it go. There are some guys, Robert De Niro, there are some guys <laughs> who you might blink at, yeah. who are of an older gentleman ilk in South Washington. But oh, I just, boy. no, Bill Murray, it's bless his heart. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, apparently, you know, they connected on, you know, because uh, Khalees, her husband passed away in 2022, yeah. and then Bill Murray, you know, strange white passed in 2021. So that's that's apparently what they connected on. But I can respect like, that. You, yeah, you know what I'm saying? But when you think about just Bill Murray and Khalees, like, that is just, like, feels like, from an outside perspective, just feels like oil and water. And, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. Yeah. It's a little interesting to me. Uh, but yeah. And you know, I just say this other piece, <laughs> which I hope I don't get myself in trouble, but. Oh, we don't get in trouble on this show. Go ahead. Oh, we could. No, no, we, we could get in trouble with what I'm about to say. <laughs> if you're going to appeal to that younger lady, right? Yeah. And Kelly's is a beautiful, sexy, all that looking chick. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, 
People wanted that milkshake back in the day. Yeah, okay. exactly. And she still looks fantastic, right? Yeah, so absolutely. I'm just thinking to myself, like, if you're going to kind of do like sugar daddy-ish or you're going to kind of do the older gentleman, even like if it's just to kick it, like for me, you got to be moving. Like you got to make yeah. something happen. Like it's got to still be some energy. And maybe Bill Murray has that. I don't know. Yeah. But on first sight, yeah. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm glad it's Friday and we won't have to deal with consequences until Monday if if we do have them. So yeah, you know, you guys, we thank you for rocking with us um, each and every day and making ATL Day Ones your first listen of the day. And if this is the last show, man, we appreciate you guys for for, for getting us to this point. <laughs> but, but you know, on a serious note, serious note. I just want to, you know, give my partner her flowers because, you know, sometimes she can be so very humble, you know, and, and, and do those things. But, yeah, shout out to UT getting the uh, Women's Award last night. Uh, I'm sure you had a really good time. But, yeah, I want you guys to know that Tanitra Batiste is a very big deal and y'all should start treating her as such. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, that's that's just what it is. She's the star of this show. So, yeah. <laughs> so, guys, if we don't do anything else in life, I want to make sure. Make sure, make sure, make sure that you both share love, show love, and most importantly, hit that link in the description box and spread some love financially. Here we go.